Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first chapter of this Curious Cat Tour on the Arc de Triomphe. I'm your host, Will Clark, and in this chapter, we'll explore the monument's origins, as well as some of the fake history regarding elephants and the arch. In the summer of 1789, France embarked on one of the most consequential events in human history, the French Revolution. The Bastille prison was stormed, the Versailles Palace was occupied, and within just a few months, every aspect of society had been overturned. In uprooting centuries of customs and traditions, the sudden break with established norms had immense ramifications. Divisions emerged not only within France, but across the continent as well. The Young Revolution found itself surrounded by hostile monarchies, wary of the reforms and ideas that posed risks to their own thrones. For some, the conclusion was simple. War. Conflict was the only resolution to these irreconcilable tensions. Only through force could peace be achieved, and only through bloodshed could these new ideas be tested. In April 1792, almost three years after the storming of the Bastille, revolutionary France declared war on Austria. Within a year, Prussia, Great Britain, Spain and the Dutch Republic had all entered the fray. Both sides anticipated a quick war. Both sides were wrong. The revolutionary and Napoleonic wars consumed Europe for the next quarter century. Within months of the conflict's eruption, the French monarchy was toppled and the First French Republic had been proclaimed. Having executed King Louis XVI, what followed was years of bitter struggles. The new republic fought wars across Europe, Africa, North America and the Caribbean, not to mention numerous civil wars within its own borders. Amongst the carnage, a talented, ambitious, and ever-enterprising officer rapidly rose to prominence. This man was Napoleon Bonaparte. In 1804, some 12 years after the Revolutionary War commenced, Napoleon put an end to the First Republic. France was now an empire, Napoleon its emperor. But despite France's return to a monarchy, War with Europe continued. Unhappy with the outcomes of previous peace treaties, Russia and Austria renewed hostilities in the so-called War of the Third Coalition. Backed by Great Britain, which was already at war with France, the new allies sought to reduce the French Empire to its pre-revolutionary borders. In the autumn of 1805, the French scored tremendous victories. In a daring campaign through modern-day Germany, Napoleon and his famous marshals inflicted considerable defeats upon the coalition. A whole Austrian army was captured, totally more than 20,000 men. In November, the Austrian capital of Vienna fell to the French. The Grand Armée, as the French army was called, seemed victorious. But it might not last. For all his success, Napoleon 
had a problem. A humongous Russian army. Before railways and automobiles, Russia was a long way away from the battlefields of Central Europe. Unfortunately for Napoleon, it was still a little too close. After months of marching, the formidable Russian army was eager to do battle, assisted by the recently regrouped Austrians. By December 1805, the combined coalition army was ready to meet the French in the modern-day nation of Czechia, near the town of Austerlitz. In the so-called Battle of the Three Emperors, Napoleon pulled off a stunning success. Tens of thousands of coalition troops were killed, wounded or captured. With Vienna already under French control, the Austrians were finally ready to make peace. The War of the Third Coalition would soon come to an end, and Europe was forever remade. Austria surrendered several territories to France and its allies, but more importantly, the Holy Roman Empire was now all but dead. Officially dissolved in 1806, the empire lasted for some 1,000 years. Although the peak of its power had long since passed, its end was significant and symbolic. It was now unquestionable that the French Empire mastered the continent. To celebrate the colossal success of the Grand Armée, Napoleon sought a monument of equal proportions. Emulating the practices of ancient Rome, it was proposed that a triumphal arch would be built in Paris. Napoleon drew inspiration from the Arch of Constantine in Rome, which celebrated Constantine's victories almost 15 centuries prior. Funnily enough, that arch actually still stands in Rome today. In fact, it's right next door to the Colosseum should you be visiting the Eternal City anytime soon. And yes, for those wondering, this was the same Constantine who gave his name to the city of Constantinople, modern-day Istanbul. It's also the same Constantine who paved the way for the Roman Empire to adopt Christianity as its primary religion. To say he's an important guy is an understatement. Of course, with a record like that, Emperor Napoleon would need a big arch to outshine its Roman counterpart. In order to ensure the grandest of monuments, a design contest was created to encourage proposals for the iconic structure. The designs are fascinating. Amongst the designs were arches with a roof ordained with statues, a roof with a statue of the goddess of victory, and finally an alternative with just a statue of Napoleon himself. Thankfully for everyone, he didn't choose the latter. Now, we do need to digress for a moment to address a bit of fake history. You may have been told that the Arc de Triomphe could have been designed in the shape of an elaborate elephant. According to the rumour, it was excessive costs which condemned the proposal. This is absolutely not true. If you hear this claim, what you're actually hearing is two bits of real history that have been incorrectly intertwined and muddled up. So, we're now going to untangle the trunks. 
Some five decades before the Arc de Triomphe was designed, an architect proposed an elaborate design for a different triumphal monument. The L'Elephant Triomphal, in my dodgy French, would celebrate the victories of King Louis XV, and in particular, the War of Austrian Succession. This monument was planned to be built exactly where the Arc de Triomphe now stands. In this proposed elephant-shaped monument was an arch, as well as a balcony at the top of the structure. In my personal favourite part, there would also be a huge fountain incorporated into the trunk. Had it been constructed, it would probably be one of the most recognisable structures in the world. But it wasn't built, nor was it designed for Napoleon's arch some 50 years later. However, because its proposed location was where the Arc de Triomphe now stands, people often get the L'Elephant Triomphal and the Arc de Triomphe confused. Not helping the matter is an elephant monument that Napoleon actually did plan to build. But this elephant was proposed for a site elsewhere in Paris. In 1808, Napoleon backed plans for the construction of a colossal bronze elephant to be placed at the site of the former Bastille prison. Only a full-scale plaster model was constructed, so if you haven't already been to the Bastille, please do not expect an elephant. However, you can expect a pleasant walk around town and some really nice food, so it's definitely worth a visit. Nonetheless, Napoleon's plans for an actual elephant monument combined with the earlier designs for a triumphant elephant at the location where the Arc de Triomphe was eventually constructed results in some often misquoted and convoluted history. In short, if someone tells you that the Arc de Triomphe could have been an elephant, you can tell them that a curious cat says otherwise. Yes, an elephant-shaped monument could have been constructed at the same location, but it was never, ever, ever going to be Napoleon's monument celebrating the victories of his armies. For those interested, I have placed images of the designs for both elephant monuments in the show notes. Just follow the link and you can see what are, admittedly, some quite entertaining designs and sketches. Returning to our story, the winner of the design contest for the arch was Jean Chagras. A plainer design than an elephant, and indeed some of the other proposals, Chagras called for a simple yet imposing rectangular structure. Fulfilling Napoleon's vision for a monument worthy of the size of his triumph, the Arc de Triomphe would be roughly double the size of the Constantine Arch in Rome. Today, the Arc stands at a considerable 50 metres tall, with a width of 45 metres and a depth of 22. Alternatively, it's 165 feet tall, 148 feet wide, and 72 feet deep. Put simply, it was designed to be huge, and until the mid-20th century, it was the tallest triumphal arch in the world. That record now belongs to an arch in Mexico City, which memorialises the Mexican Revolution. The finished Arc de Triomphe 
conformed largely with Chagas' original plan. One grand arch runs through the centre of the structure on the longer side of the rectangle. In addition to this, two smaller arches can be found on each of the shorter sides of the rectangular construction. All of these archways connect in the centre, allowing people to walk through the arch in multiple directions. Hidden inside the pillars supporting the arch is a staircase to the top. This not only grants access to a rooftop balcony, but it permits a small museum hidden inside of the top of the structure. Interestingly, the museum was not the only hidden aspect of Jean Chagras' design. So too was its completion. Taking two years to construct the foundations and abutments alone, what followed was a decades-long process to complete the arch. During that time, both Napoleon and Chagras died. Neither would see their vision enacted. In fact, neither would come anywhere close. However, that's hardly the end of our joyful story. With significant complications bedeviling the project, not to mention a few revolutions, we'll now explore in Chapter 2 the Archer's construction during multiple regime changes. Then, in the third chapter, we'll unpack the significance of the Arc de Triomphe in modern times. Between presidential assassination attempts and military parades, there's plenty to discuss. Finally, in chapters 4 through to 10, we will go through some of the most iconic statues, reliefs, and individuals engraved upon its walls. You absolutely do not want to miss it. I look forward to seeing you shortly. If you haven't already purchased this Curious Cat tour, and you don't want to miss out on your opportunity to maximise your visit to the world's most famous arch, then you can purchase the full tour on CuriousCatTours.com or a range of tour websites. Links are in the show notes, and you can use the coupon code ELEPHANT to get 10% off at CuriousCatTours.com. If you purchase the tour, you'll be provided with a private podcast link, so you can download the tour ahead of time. As a result, you can also download it on multiple devices, so your travelling companions can all listen at their own pace using their own devices and headphones, and all for the cost of just one tour. It is cheaper, easier, and more flexible than those ancient audio devices at museums. And let's be frank, this cat is more interesting. As always, thank you for listening to Curious Cat Tours. Don't forget to check out our other free chapters of Landmarks across Paris, France, and the rest of Europe, and I look forward to seeing you shortly for chapter two. Meow.